This was a few weeks ago. I was sitting on the couch, minding my own business, just thinking about life and how things go from time to time. And uh, you know, I was, I was, I was just thinking about things. And and from somewhere in the distance, I heard Leah say, "Are you even listening to me?" And I thought, boy, that's an awful strange way to start a conversation. And that's a terrible joke, but I didn't come up with it. Jerry Rosenbaum told me that joke. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of different methods and um, tactics that people use to get somebody's attention. And some of them are more effective than others. When I was in high school, I had a history and geography teacher named Mr. Parker. And what Mr. Parker would do is when he would notice that somebody was daydreaming, he would sneak up behind their desk with an Encyclopedia Britannica and slam it down on their desk. It's a very effective method for getting somebody's attention. Kyle Eidelman says that if you wanted to get his attention when he was in school, all you had to do was say these magic words, this is going to be on the test. All of a sudden, you had his attention. I had a preaching professor when I was in college that used to say this, nod like you know what I'm talking about. And then we'd have to go like that, and that was his indication, pay attention to what I'm saying. When I'm preaching and I notice that one of you nods off, I want you to know I don't bear any ill will against you. I'm not going to throw an Encyclopedia Britannica at you. I just have a very simple prayer that I offer for you while I notice that you're not paying attention. I just pray that as you fall asleep, you have a dream that you're falling off a picnic table. (laughs) And that'll bring you right back to me. All right? In the Bible, when God wants to get someone's attention, He doesn't drop a, an encyclopedia on the desk and He doesn't say, This is going to be on the test. When God wanted to get somebody's attention, He often did so with a miracle. And I want you to interact a little bit with me this morning so I can illustrate my point. How did God get Moses' attention? A burning bush. How about Jonah? How did God get Jonah's attention? I say whale, you say whale, I say fish, we both say big swimmy thing, right? Yeah, you got a giant fish to swallow him. These are miracles that God used to get his point across. This month, we're going to be talking about Jesus' miracles and the message he was emphasizing as he performed them. And we're going to start our study in Mark chapter 2 this morning. If you're a guest, I want to welcome you. Uh, I just want to, I want to say I'm so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. And uh, I hope that um, this has been a good experience for you. And if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer answer them. Luke would be happy to answer them. Our elders would be. If you're a first-time guest, I want you to know that that connection card, I don't want you to put that in the offering plate. I want you to find me after service and give that to me because I have a small gift for you. Uh, also, uh, if, you know, if you're new around here, I want to just share a couple of things that will help you. Uh, in your bulletin on the back of the prayer request page is the fill-in-the-blank sermon outline. That's there for you. Uh, it'll help you get down some of the key concepts I have this morning and uh, help give you a place to write some notes if I say anything worth repeating. Uh, last thing. If you have your own Bible, that's great. I will have all of the text up here on the screen for you, though, if you find that easier. And if you don't have your own Bible, why don't you find me after church? I would be happy to give you your own Bible. That being said, let's read from Mark chapter 2. We will start in verse 1. 
When Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up and walk? So I will prove that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, and he grabbed his mat, and he walked out through the stunned onlookers, and they were all amazed, and they praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. It's a miracle. That's a miracle, right? You've never seen anything like this before. What's going on in this text? This is very early in Jesus' ministry, and he started to develop this reputation as a miracle worker. Right? He, he's starting to get a reputation as somebody who's different than the other religious voices that exist. He's a miracle worker. And people are coming to see this man. He's already healed many people of various kinds of diseases. He's healed a man with leprosy. And people are starting to get curious about Jesus, the miracle worker. In fact, Mark chapter 1 ends this way. It says, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. Turns out that performing a miracle does a pretty good job of making you famous, right? That does a pretty good job of making you famous, but Jesus wants more out of miracles than fame. In fact, here's a, a Bible principle that we can learn about miracles. A miracle is always about more than the action. A miracle is always about more than the action. Uh, let's go back. Uh, let's go back to uh, Moses. Right? Moses is walking along one day, and he says, "Wow, that bush is on fire, and it's not being burned up. It's a miracle." What was that about? It wasn't about showing flame retardant clothing, right? God's saying, "No, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt." A miracle is always about more than the action. Well, what is a miracle? Jack Cottrell says this is a, a technical and theological definition, but Jack Cottrell says that a miracle is something that goes against the natural order of how the universe works. All right, that, that seems pretty straightforward. Can you think of any examples that fit that definition? Go ahead. Can you think of any examples? Don't say Moses. Don't say Jonah either. Can you think of any examples of a miracle, maybe from the Old Testament? Parting of the Red Sea. Absolutely. Any others? Water into wine? Okay, we can take that one. I won't make any comments about alcohol. No, I'm just kidding. Everybody's favorite miracle. No, I'm just kidding. 
Um, parting of the Red Sea, water into wine. What else? Healing a blind man, the plagues. Yeah. What about manna from heaven? Manna from heaven, yeah. And what's that? Donkey talking, absolutely, absolutely something that goes against the natural order of how the universe works, right? If we can pick animals to talk, the donkey is at the very bottom of my list, right? They're so stubborn, like donkey, two plus two equals four. No, it isn't. That wasn't anywhere in my notes. Anyway, I had one last one. This is my favorite miracle from the Old Testament. Joshua praying and the sun standing still in the middle of the sky. It's something that goes against the natural order of how the universe works. That's not the hard part. That's the easy part. We all get that. A miracle is something that goes against how the universe works. What is the purpose of a miracle? That's the hard part. That's the hard part. The purpose of a miracle is for God to reveal himself in order that his commands be obeyed or teachings learned. Let me say that one more time. The purpose of a miracle is for God to reveal himself in order that his commands be obeyed or his teachings be learned. When we see a miracle in the Bible, God is saying, listen up. This is going to be on the test. Listen up. I need you to hear this. So what does God need for us to hear in Mark chapter 2? When Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, and seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. My child, your sins are forgiven. Do you have any idea how particular and exacting a system there was for securing the forgiveness of sins? Everything about forgiving sins was exact and precise. We talked about this a little bit in January, but each family picked out a year-old lamb without blemish or defect, and then they'd take it to the priest on the Day of Atonement. And then the family would lean on the lamb with their hands, and then the priest would come by and sacrifice the animal. Everything about this was incredibly specific. When it happened, where it happened, what kind of an animal could be used, who could perform the ceremony, and in an instant, Jesus disregards all of that and says, your sins are forgiven. None of that matters anymore because I'm saying your sins are forgiven. This is going against the Levitical law. This is going against thousands of years of tradition. This is going against everything that the religious leaders have ever heard. And this isn't a minor issue. Right? This is as big of an issue as you could imagine. And Jesus raises this early in his ministry. He's not coming in and saying, guys, I think we should change the color of the carpet. Guys, I'm thinking we should paint the hallways a different color. He's saying, I'm fundamentally changing the way we understand forgiveness of sins. 
This is a big deal. This is the biggest deal. This is Jesus saying thousands of years of honoring God's commands are changing right now. My child, your sins are forgiven you. And the religious leaders, I can sympathize with them a little bit here, Their job was to make sure that the law was kept, that people understood the law. They taught the law. They wrote the law. They translated the law. They lived the law. They get their feathers a little ruffled here. And they start to think to themselves, they go, what did he just say? Can can he say, who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And they start getting a little bit angry, and Jesus knew immediately Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, what do you question this in your hearts? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I'm going to prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Of course, we know what happens next. The man springs up. I don't know. I wasn't there, obviously. But I just imagine the guy springing up, you know, and getting his mat and going home. Well, Jesus does three miraculous things here in this text. Three miracles. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of times we focus on the wrong one. Yes, Jesus understood the thoughts of the Pharisees and what they were thinking in their minds. It's pretty miraculous. Yes, Jesus healed a man who was paralyzed. That's miraculous. But the real moment of significance here is when Jesus says your sins are forgiven. See, when Jesus healed that paralyzed man, what he was saying is, listen up. I need you to hear this. I need you to hear this. Or like my preaching professor would say, nod like you know what I'm talking about. Let's look at this together. The purpose of a miracle is for God to reveal himself in order that his commands be obeyed or his teachings learned. What is God revealing about himself in this passage? God's revealing himself in Jesus Christ. He's revealing himself in Jesus Christ. Well, how so? Well, Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees give us some helpful commentary and they say, only God can forgive sins. Jesus goes, well, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Jesus says, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. I just proved that I can with this miracle. What are we left to conclude? That Jesus is God in the flesh, in living color. That Jesus is God. And I think it's important, you know, I know it's important, the name that Jesus used to describe himself here. How does Jesus describe himself? He says, I will prove to you that the blank of blank, the Son of Man, has authority on earth to forgive sins. It's kind of an odd title, isn't it? It's kind of an interesting title. The Son of Man. That sounds like a name we'd give to anybody. Jeff is the son of man. Tony is the son of man. Mike is the son of man. Rick is... We're going to use a different example. 
Well, if we're going to talk about somebody being the son of man, it seems like somebody who was born to parents, right? If we're going to talk about somebody who's God, wouldn't we say son of God? Or, you know, if, if I had to choose a title for Jesus, I'd probably go with Emmanuel. Jesus, call yourself Emmanuel, God with us. That's significant, but Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Here's why. It comes from a prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. Here's what we read. Daniel says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Look at what happens. Look at what the Son of Man does. He approached the Ancient One and was led into His presence. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey Him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Jesus is saying, I am the one who approached the Ancient One. I am the one who has been given authority and honor and sovereignty over the nations. I am the one who is to be obeyed. I am the one whose rule will never end. I am the the one who is worshipped in heaven, I am able to forgive sins. And to prove his point, Jesus says, listen up, I need you to get this. And he turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up and walk. And the man jumped up and he grabbed his mat and he walked out through the stunned onlookers and they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Miracles always about more than the action. Miracles always about more than the action. And this miracle is about God revealing himself in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happened. We're just beginning to get a glimpse of it. Right now, Jesus is thought of as a guy who performs miracles. He was a fascination. But he's beginning to reveal himself. Hebrews chapter 1 3 says this The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. God's revealing himself to us in Jesus, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command, just like in Daniel 7. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he's able to do that, by the way. He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven, just like in Daniel 7. What am I getting at here? This passage is about so much more than Jesus' ability to heal our bodies. This passage is about so much more than Jesus' ability to heal our bodies. Can he? Absolutely. But that's like saying the creator of the sun has the ability to light a match. Right? But certainly something that's true, but it pales in comparison to what Jesus is actually about. Can Jesus heal? Definitely. But his primary concern is not our physical bodies. Jesus is concerned with healing us spiritually. Jesus is concerned with healing us eternally. Jesus' primary concern is saying to each of us, your sins are forgiven. So when we wonder from time to time why Jesus didn't heal my loved one, and we start to second-guess ourselves and wonder if we prayed hard enough or prayed long enough or prayed using the right words, I want you to stop. Don't do that to yourselves. Here's why. 
Jesus loves us. He loves each and every one of us, those who are near to him and those who are far from him. Jesus loves each of us, and he died so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And I need you to understand this. This is an important principle. Right? You may not like this, but this is true. Jesus cares more about our eternal life than our earthly life. He cares more about our eternal life than our earthly life. That's hard for us to understand right now because all we know is life on this planet. But one day we will appreciate the care that Jesus has for our souls and we will praise Him for it. Jesus may not heal your disease and He may not heal the disease of one you love deeply. He may not heal the disease that one you love deeply is suffering through. It doesn't make him any less lovely. It doesn't make him any less powerful. It doesn't make him any less sovereign or divine. Because Jesus has already secured the forgiveness of your sins. And that is the most important thing that anyone could ever do for you. All you have to do is respond. You know, I was wondering, I was wondering why I, I was supposed to preach this sermon today, and I guess, I guess I know why. It's so many people that we love and care about in our community are struggling and hurting, and people have lost loved ones in these last couple of days, and Dana is fighting hard right now, and I guess what God needs for us to know is he's still faithful even if he doesn't heal our bodies because he's healed our souls. He's secured the forgiveness of your sins and all you have to do is respond. So today, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of Man who came to earth to pay the price for your sins, I want to invite you to come forward and confess that. And I want to invite you to decide in your heart to repent of your sins. And I want to invite you to make an appeal to God for the forgiveness of your sins in baptism. You see, Jesus has secured our forgiveness. But in baptism, what we say is, I want that forgiveness. I want that forgiveness. You see, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 says that baptism now saves you. It's not, it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but it's an appeal to God for a clear conscience in Christ Jesus. It's where we say, I want that forgiveness that you've already secured for me, Jesus. If you need to make that decision today, I, I think you should. And for all of us who are here today who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to praise him with me. I want to invite you to praise him with me because he is the Son of Man. I want to invite you to praise him with me because he did live to die. I want to invite you to praise him with me because he can forgive sins. I want you to praise him with me because he is worthy. I want you to praise him with me because he has been given honor and authority and sovereignty over all the nations of the world. I want you to praise him with me because right now he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high and that is where he will be for eternity. Will you stand and praise the Son of Man with me this morning.